0: To begin today's message, I want to ask you, how do you think that God looks at you? When you picture God's face, you might even like to close your eyes and imagine God's face, whatever you think that that looks like. What do you see? What's the expression that you see on God's face? What's his demeanour towards you? What's his posture towards you? For some of us, when we think about what God looks like when he looks at us, we might see unconditional love, acceptance, a sense of welcome. For some of us, when we look at God, we might see a question on his face, wondering why we aren't doing certain things, or a sense of wondering why we can't get our act together, or feeling like we can't quite measure up. For some of us, that's what we project onto God's facial expressions for us. For some of us... We may actually think that God's just distracted and that God's not looking at us at all, that we're kind of sitting there hoping that God might direct his attention to us, but he's kind of off-focused on other things. So this is a really, really important question for us to wrestle with because the projections that we have onto God about the ways in which that God, God looks at us and God perceives us goes a huge way to shaping all of our theology, the things that we think and the things that we believe about God. What we, by default, understand that God feels about us shapes a lot about how we think that God operates, how we think that God works, how we think that God feels about us, and the work that God's doing in our lives. And so today we're going to take some time to talk about one of the ways in which Jesus describes what God is like. And it's a really, really challenging story that really helps us to enter into the amazing love and the amazing Father's heart. That God has for us. So you have your teaching notes uh, inside of Connect News. You can feel free to grab those and uh, jot things down as we go through today's message. And you can also open your Bible up to Luke chapter 15 if you've got that with you. And uh, we'll jump in there in a couple of moments. Today we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, which is a story that many of us know, uh, but just a very brief recap of it. And then we're going to dig into it at length. This is the story of a father who has two sons And one of the sons comes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my share of your inheritance right now. Before you die, I just want it because I want to go and live my life and get on with what that looks like. And so he then receives this. The father is generous enough to split all of his assets up and to give his son this inheritance. And his son takes off and spends a whole bunch of that money on all sorts of different things that you can possibly imagine until it all finally runs out. And he hits rock bottom. And he finally comes to his senses and realises the people who work for my dad are getting on better than I am. At least they got something to eat and a roof over their head and so I might as well go back and ask my dad if I can at least just work with him. I don't expect him to take me back as a part of the family but maybe I can at least work for him. So he goes back to his dad and his dad welcomes him with open arms in this incredible radical acceptance of saying, you are and you always have been a part of the family. Now, normally when we look at this story, we focus very much on the prodigal son, the younger son in the story, and often we spend time talking about the older son as well, the one that stays at home. But today, because it is Father's Day, I want us to intentionally focus on the perspective of the father because this story Jesus tells as a way of being able to understand this is exactly what God is like. Jesus' whole purpose in telling this story to the people who were listening was to say the Father is exactly what God is like. And so as we make our way through, I want to encourage you to put yourself in the shoes of the Father, to think about how you would be responding throughout and to be able to recognise that this is what God's like all of the time. So Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. This is a pretty staggering way to start a story out because what the younger son is effectively saying in this story is, Dad, I wish that you were dead. That's all that you're good for, for me, is your inheritance. Frankly, that's all I want from you. I don't want a relationship with you. I don't really care about you. And the longer that you stick around, the more you're getting in the way of my future plans. So I wish that you would die, but seeing as you insist on sticking around, I want to just have my inheritance now. It's a pretty staggering thing to come and say to your dad, really, when you stop and think about it. And so imagine how the father must have felt when the son comes and says these words to him. My son wishes that I was dead. My son doesn't care about a relationship with me He's not interested in spending time with me. The only thing that he wants from me is the money that I have spent my whole life earning to be able to set him up for the rest of his life. Imagine the sense of heartbreak that you would have. The questions that you would ask yourself. Where on earth did I go wrong in my relationship with my son that this is where things have gotten to? And maybe for some of us, we have experienced that. With people who are a part of our family, with close friends, with people that we've maybe taken a long time to invest in, we may have had similar experiences where people effectively say, That's it, I'm done, I want to cut this relationship off. And it breaks our heart. And it's important to think about how the Father could have reacted to His Son coming and saying these things to Him. We would not have been surprised at all if the way that Jesus told this story was that the Father's reaction was, Get out get out of here. I never ever want to see you again. Leave and go. If you don't want to be here and be a part of this family, then that's fine. Leave and go and get on with the rest of your life. But you're not going to be getting any inheritance from me. I'm writing you out of my will and that's it. There's nothing that's left for you. We wouldn't have been shocked at all if that was the response and the reaction of the father. But that's not how Jesus tells a story. He says that the father agrees to divide his wealth amongst his sons. And we need to stop and think about the implications of that because this was someone who no doubt would have been a wealthy landowner. And the only way that he would have been able to access the funds to be able to give to his son would have been to sell a whole bunch of his property off, sell a whole bunch of his livestock off, sell a whole bunch of his assets off so that he could turn them into money that he could then give to his son. That's pretty staggering. But some translations actually say that the money was split evenly between the two sons, which is even more staggering because in Jesus' day, the older son got a significant amount more of the inheritance than any of the other kids. And so this radical generosity of the father to not say, get out, I never want to see you again, but to say, okay, I will give you your inheritance now. I'll do all the work that that takes. And in fact, I'm going to give you more than you deserve, Now again, if you were the father, what do you hope that the son would do with all of this money that you have now given him? I imagine I would certainly want him to go and set up the rest of his life with all that he's been given, to invest the money wisely, to look after it well, to maybe do some really generous things with the money, to give it to other people who were in need, to set himself up. But in verse 13, that's not at all what we read happens. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. He goes and he lives it up. He spends it on everything that you can possibly imagine until ultimately there's none left. Now we can assume that no doubt the father probably heard some of the rumours of what was going on, that things probably got passed down the grapevine and back to him to hear about this life that his son was living in this distant, faraway land. And again, imagine how you would feel if you were the father. My son would rather live it up than live with me. All of this hard-earned money, everything that I've spent my life trying to create, has been wasted. It's gone, and it's never, ever coming back. All I wanted to do was to provide for my family why did I even bother? What was the point? Imagine the sense of hopelessness, the sense of sadness, the sense of grief that would have been experienced by the father. In verse 14, about the time that the younger son's money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything so the money runs out and suddenly a huge famine sweeps across the land and so this guy is left with absolutely nothing he has no food to eat implication is he probably doesn't even really have anywhere decent to live at all and he has completely hit rock bottom Now, once again, we don't know exactly what the father would know about this. There's one scenario where the father just completely lost contact with his son and doesn't know anything about what's happened. The sense of hopelessness that he must have been feeling about that. My son's gone. I may never, ever see him again. He may never, ever come home. Maybe he's completely forgotten about us as a family. Maybe he doesn't care about us anymore. Alternatively, he may have again heard rumours come down the grapevine of all of the things that were going on for his son and that his son has hit rock bottom. His son is in this terrible place of desperation and the craving that the father would have had to say, why won't he just come home? I just wish he would come back. I don't know why he's putting himself through all of this. Verse 17 When the younger son finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Now there's a lot that's going on in this part of the story that Jesus tells. The younger son comes to his senses and says, I would be better off going back and pleading with my dad to just be able to work for him because at least then I would be able to eat something. At least then I might have somewhere to be able to live. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to say how sorry I am and that I messed up and hope that he might just at least accept me to be able to do that. So he sets out. But what's staggering is that Jesus says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. The implication is very clearly here that the father was looking for the son. And the picture that I've always had of this parable is of the father sitting on his porch. For some reason, I picture him sitting on a rocking chair, just sitting there day after day, scanning the horizon, hoping that one day his son Might come home. And every day, maybe someone appears on the horizon, someone is coming to visit, and his hopes maybe get up a little bit. No, that's not him. Day after day after day, watching, yearning, hoping that his son might come home. And on this day, the same thing happens. He sees this little tiny speck out on the horizon. And you can imagine that his heart just kind of skips a beat a little bit. Could this be him? And as the speck gets bigger and bigger, he suddenly starts to realise, yes, that's my son. That's his walk. That's his hair. That's him. him. It is my son. Now, again, we think about what could have happened at this point. We would probably assume that the father may have stayed on the porch. We'll wait for the son to come here and see what he's got to say. Or maybe get up and go and meet him at the gate. Say, so, okay, what have you got to say for yourself? But no, Jesus says he gets up and he runs to his son. And Jesus is saying a lot with just that phrase, that he runs towards his son. Because in this day, this man, a wealthy lo- landowner, would have been wearing very fine clothes, no doubt would have been wearing a robe. And so... I can't say I've ever worn a dress, but my understanding is that if you want to run when you're wearing a dress, you've got to hitch things up a little bit in order to be able to run forward, particularly if you're wearing a robe that's probably a bit more close-fitting. So, in Jesus' day, for a man to run was bad enough. That's really, really frowned upon. But to show your legs while you're running, that's even more controversial. But this man doesn't care what anyone else thinks about him. And you think about the ways in which he's probably had to work through that. All of the rumours about his son asking for his inheritance, all of the insult that that was to his family choosing to divide the money up, hearing about the way that he was living things up, hearing about how bad things had gone for him. But this man does not care what anyone else thinks. His son is home. And so he runs to him and wraps his arms around him. Now, the son tries to say his very carefully rehearsed speech to say, Dad, I'm so sorry for everything I've done. I just want you to take me on as one of your servants. But in verse 22, we read, that His father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Once again, this is a staggering and fascinating response that we see from the father. Our assumption would be that he would have waited to hear the son's very carefully worded speech. And if the son showed enough remorse, showed that he was really, truly sorry for everything that he'd done... If the son tried to say, I'm going to make up for what I've done, I'm really, really sorry, then maybe the father would begrudgingly welcome him back into the family. If you prove you're really sorry, if you're going to try and make up for what you've done, then maybe there's a way of us being able to move forward together. But instead, what we see is restoration. The message translation of these verses actually says, But the father wasn't listening. Implication here is not that the father heard this remorseful apology from his son and therefore said all of these things. Implication is the father wrapped his arms around his son. His son started saying something or other, but he'd already moved on. He says to his servants, get a robe, get a ring, get some sandals, because we need to help this guy understand who he really is. And all of those things are incredibly symbolic. A robe that shows that he doesn't have to wear these rags that he no doubt would have been wearing, but that he was a part of the family. The sandals in particular are one of the key differences between someone who's a servant and someone who was a part of the household. But most staggering, the ring, which was a symbol of authority, saying, I trust you enough to give you the family ring to be able to make decisions on behalf of our family this astounding generosity from the Father, who does everything to say, you are my son. You always have been my son. You're always going to be my son and nothing is ever going to change that. I want to make sure that you know that and that you experience that. I'm just so glad that you're home, that you're alive and that you're a part of the family. Jesus shares this story shortly after he shares two other stories to be able to help the people who are listening to understand that God searches for and cares deeply about people who are lost. At the start of chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a lost sheep that wanders off from the rest of the flock and a shepherd who leaves all the rest of the flock behind to go and find that one sheep that's wandered off. He then tells a story about a woman who loses a coin and tips her house upside down, cleans everywhere until she can find it. And then he tells this story of this lost son. Jesus is trying to drive home, especially to the religious leaders, that this is God's heart. God's heart is to seek out and to find those who are lost, those who have walked away to care for them and to welcome them back in. And so today on Father's Day, it's a great opportunity for us to remind ourselves that that's the Father's heart of God. This is what God is like 100% of the time. Now, sometimes our fathers and the father figures that we've got in our lives get that right. Other times they don't because they're flawed and they make mistakes. And the challenge for us is to recognise that God is not a reflection of what our fathers and our father figures are like. Our fathers and our father figures, when they're at their very best, are a reflection of what God is like 100% of the time. And so today's a day to be able to celebrate and to express gratitude to the father figures that we have in our lives, who display these characteristics, even when they do it imperfectly. Whether that's our fathers, our grandfathers, our uncles, family friends, leaders, people that we have around us. People who allow us to make mistakes. People who allow us sometimes even to walk off even though they know it's not what's best for us. People who yearn for us to experience a sense of being welcomed home, of being able to feel like we belong. People who embrace us especially when we've hit rock bottom. People who offer forgiveness to us when we mess up, who don't hold the mistakes that we've made against us. People who restore us and tell us, I know who you are, who see into the depths of who we are and are able to call us out about the people that we really are. That's what God is like 100% of the time. And it's a privilege when we have people in our lives who give us the opportunity to see that and to experience that. So I want to give us an opportunity to be able to reflect on what this looks like with a couple of questions today. First of all, what does my Heavenly Father want to say to me today? And then what do I want to say in return? What does my Heavenly Father want to say to me? And what do I want to say in return? I'm going to give us an opportunity in a moment to be able to just pause and to sit with God. And again, you might like to return to that picture of thinking about what the expression is on God's face and the way in which God sees you and looks at you. But to take a moment to be able to say, on the basis of what Jesus has told us God is like, what do you sense that God says to you today, this morning? What do you sense that he wants you to be able to hear? You may even like to close your eyes and to put your hands out as a symbol of saying, God, please speak to me. But then you may also like to say something in return to God, something that you would like to say to your heavenly Father about all that he's done for you, about all that he means to you, and about the way in which he sees you. So let's take some time to be able to reflect, and then we'll come together and we'll pray and transition across the communion. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that so often you tip our expectations and our understandings on their head. We thank you for this beautiful, powerful, incredible story that communicates so much. Communicates so much about what God is like. Communicates so much about who we are. And it really challenges so much about what we often project into our relationship with God. We pray that you would continue to challenge us about that. Help us to recognise that we are accepted and we're loved and we're embraced, not because we get our act together, not because we don't mess up, not because we somehow manage to prove ourselves, but just because you love us, because your desire is for us to be a part of your family we thank you that everything that's necessary has been done for that to happen. We're sorry that so often in our lives we make choices to walk away from that, to walk away from your best. We pray that you would help us to come to our senses in those moments where we we'll hit rock bottom because of the choices that we've made and to return knowing that we will be accepted, will be embraced, we'll be welcomed home and will be forgiven and restored. On this Father's Day, we're grateful for the opportunity that we've got to be able to reflect on the people who have made a difference in our lives, to reflect on the opportunities that we've had at times, to be able to reflect your Father's heart to the people that are in our lives. But we're grateful most of all to be able to recognise that you are our perfect Heavenly Father. This is what you're like 100% of the time. We thank you that you see us, that you know us, that you love us and that you accept us. As we head into this week, help us to live as people who know that we're home, who know that we're a part of the family. In your name we pray. Amen.